What a remarkable psalm we have before us this morning. Kids, glad to have you with us uh, this morning. I don't think you've been with us yet since we've uh, been through our psalm series this summer. So glad to have you here with us, all the kids in here. I'll go a little bit shorter today for, uh, for obvious reasons. Make sure that the parents are uh, able to, 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 to hear and absorb, and the kids hopefully as well. Um, but man, what a remarkable psalm this is. He's our refuge and strength. I'm excited uh, to walk us through this psalm this morning. And so with that, would you, would you pray? We need God's help as we, as we uh, look at his word here this morning and as we see him uh, as our refuge and our strength. We want to cling to these words, these promises, these attributes of who our God is, that because of who he is, because he's worthy, because he's holy, because he's faithful, what we've just sung, we, we have no need to fear Though the earth gives way, what a remarkable and unique psalm we have here. Pray with me this morning that God would be honored and glorified as we walk through his word. God, help us today to see you, to see you as the, the king who reigns, see you as the king who speaks a word and the earth melts, who merely, who merely exists and the nations totter. The nations melt away. They all come underneath your reign and rule that there is coming a day when all people will say that, that God is the God of the nations, the king of all the earth. And so with these remarkable truths that you are revealing to us through your word, may we, may we rest in that. May we find strength and refuge in the fortress who is our God. For your name and glory today, we want to see you in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, like I said, uh, uh, glad to have the kids here with us this morning. We've been walking through the Psalms uh, this summer. This is what we take uh, part in every year. This is our fourth summer now where we've been walking through the Psalms. And so we're uh, Psalm 46, obviously, today. We have a few more to get to before summer, summer ends. But when we read through the Psalms, uh, one of maybe the temptations that we can fall into is, is seeing them only as individual units. Individual songs placed kind of randomly throughout the Psalter might be a temptation that we would think. But the reality is that every psalm here in the entire Psalter, the combination of the psalms put together, are actually placed there uh, very intentionally. And that they themselves, every psalm is, is really weaving together and revealing just an amazing, an amazing story. The, the psalms are, are telling us the story of redemption, the story of a great hope that is for all God's people and that, that, that is weaving together also a story that, that judgment is coming. The judgment awaits those who rebel against the God of the universe. And these psalms are inviting us into the, the, the frailty and the brokenness of life itself that's longing then, as we read them, uh, it, we, we can feel our hearts resonate with them because it's longing and yearning for some form of renewal in the world today. So, so let's take just the last few psalms that we've walked through just to, to prove my point, that they're weaving together a, a story of redemption of what God is doing. In Psalms 42 and 43 that we tackled a few weeks ago, uh, the individual psalmist who wrote those psalms, their, their soul is downcast. And so that means that as the psalmist wrote those psalms, their, their, their hearts were depressed. They were depressed in mind and in spirit as well. And they're speaking, they're speaking to their own heart and their own soul through those psalms to say, no, hope in God. 
right? So when, when, when spiritual depression seeks, sinks in, when we begin to drift away and wonder where he is, the psalmist in Psalm 42 and 43 were, were saying, no, hope in God. Remember who he is. Do we not as well feel the brokenness of life and the struggles of life, the worries of life, which can cause our own souls to be downcast, longing for, for God to help us? Then we jump to Psalm 44, and the psalmist there in Psalm 44 was speaking, speaking communally, speaking for the people of God, the community of God's people who are themselves feeling as though they were rejected and abandoned, feeling as though they were forgotten and alone, that they themselves, as the people of God, were sunk down in spirit themselves, longing, longing for a king, for a savior, for a redeemer, someone come and make this right again. Do we not at times feel as God's people, the, the church of Christ, do we not feel anxious and fearful at what is transpiring in the world around us today? Do we not at times feel as, as though evil is, is, seems like it's just prevailing all around us? That good and righteousness and order are, are things that are just long forgotten and that we can feel at times as though we're standing alone with all the arrows of the world pointing right at us. Do we not in those moments wonder, God, where are you? Where are you? What are you doing? Awake, arise, do something. But yet the story continues. In Psalm 45 last week, we saw this, this beautiful ray of hope of a good king. We saw the bridegroom of the church pursuing his bride. Right? That psalm reminds us as the story continues that, that we are not forgotten. That God is on his throne and that our place in history and forevermore is going to be by his side in his loving embrace. And here we go, Psalm 46, and we see then the might and the power of an unshakable, unmovable God who, who's going to make all of this come to be. A God who merely speaks a word and the nations crumble. A God who conquers his enemies. That there's coming a day when peace is going to reign on the earth and that the earth of old and all of its corruption, all of its decay is going to melt away under the mighty hand of God. That God Almighty, as Psalm points us to, that God Almighty is going to be exalted among the nations. That he will be exalted in all the earth. And God's city, God's people, we will enjoy a peace and a joy and a vitality that lasts forever under his protection in the midst of his presence. You see, the Psalms are, are painting us this, this picture of fruitfulness and prosperity and unending joy that's found in none other than the great God of the universe and all that our hearts long for, all that our souls yearn for is made possible, as we'll see, through the atoning work of Christ on the cross and through his resurrection. And so the command then, as we have read and heard this psalm read this morning, the charge to us, as we'll get to, is be still. Be still. Be still and know that he is God. And yet there's a dilemma that we face. There's a dilemma that all of us face as sinful human creatures, and that is that we don't want to be still. I don't want to be still. I don't want to rest. I don't want to trust. I don't want to depend on him alone. Like, I want to be my own savior. I want the glory. I want all eyes to be on me and what I can accomplish. We want to do rather than rejoice in what's been done. 
nor for those who do not yet believe, those who are not followers of of Christ, the dilemma to you then is even more severe because the dilemma that you're facing is that you want to fight God. You want to rebel against him. The, the dilemma facing you, the challenge facing you, is that you want to you war against the God of the universe. Don't tell me what to do. I do what I want to do. That is, the, that is the common mantra of our culture, is it not? Nobody tell me what to do. I do what I want to do. You want a war against a God who gave you the very breath that you're breathing. You want a war against the very God who's allowing your heart to beat. And yet, as we'll get to it, the charge is actually still the same to you. It's be still. Be still, meaning put down your arms. Put down your arms or he will put them down for you. It was actually Martin Luther, the great reformer, who who summed up the nature of this psalm perfectly for us. Psalm 46 was actually Luther's favorite psalm. It was his go-to psalm. And as, as, as Luther, who was seeking to bring reform to the church, he often found himself under intense persecution and, and oppression for challenging the, the Catholic church and, and seeking to bring reform and, and return to biblical adherence, what the Scriptures actually say. In fact, a song that, that Luther wrote, a song that we'll close with this morning, A Mighty Fortress is Our God, is a song that we sing here, and it was a song that Luther wrote from this psalm, from Psalm 46. And so Psalm 46 was a a psalm of Luther, to Luther, of of rest and hope in the midst of suffering and hardship when the world seems as though it's crumbling and crashing beneath him. He said this, he says, we sing this psalm to the praise of God because God is with us and powerfully, miraculously preserves and defends his church and his word against all fanatical spirits, against the gates of hell against the relentless hatred of the devil, and against all the assaults of the world, the flesh, and sin. That is the psalm. There are few psalms which assure us and breathe within us such a a sturdy confidence in the sufficiency and the supremacy of our great God and King in the midst of a decaying and corrupt world. Few do it as strongly as Psalm 46 does. So let's journey through the psalm together here. It's broken up for us, actually very simply for us, into three sections, three, three stanzas. The first section we see in verses 1 through 3, the second in verses 4 through 7, and the third finally we'll get to as we close today in verses 8 through 11. Each section, each stanza, each verse of, of this, this psalm is, is an aspect of God's might and power. There's this idea that there's none quite like him. And because that's true, that we can then rest assured we do not need to fear because we are being kept secure by God alone. So first thing we see in the first section of this psalm is is that God is unshakable and he is trustworthy. God is unshakable and trustworthy. We see that in verse verse 1. God is our refuge and he is our strength. He is a very present help in times of trouble. Other ways to describe refuge and and, and, and his trustworthiness is, is this idea that he is a, he is a shelter, that he is a, he is a hideaway, that he is our resort, that he is our stronghold. Luther, in his song that he wrote, described God as a mighty fortress. In fact, we see that in verses 7 and 11 as those two sections close with the, with the same wording where, where, where the psalmist says, the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Luther, in the song, also described God as a, as a bulwark. That's not a term I don't think most of us use on a day-to-day basis. 
But a a bulwark was this defensive wall that was used to protect cities and and towns and villages from, from attacking aggressors. And so Luther's description was that God was this bulwark and he was never failing, right? The, the wall never crumbled. The wall would take hits, but it would, never, it would never begin to dissolve. It was a bulwark. He is a bulwark, never failing. The psalmist here is saying that God is a refuge that we go to. He's a refuge that we go to for security and safety. And it's, it's a safety and security that is unmatched by, by anything else in the world, that nothing in the known universe can be a comparable refuge like what our God is. When, when storms threaten our physical safety, where do we go? When a tornado sirens blare, when a storm is raging, where do we go? We head downstairs to our basements, to our shelters to ride out the storm. We go there because it's the safest place for, for when a storm is raging. Uh, years ago, friends of ours, they, they bought a house, and, and in their basement, there was this, this bomb shelter, a fallout shelter. I had never seen one before. It was just fascinating to walk through it and see kind of that, that extra level of, of reinforcement that was added to this, this tiny little room in their, in their basement. And, and it was built there years, decades ago, obviously, to, to protect against possible nuclear fallout during the Cold War. Now, now would, would, have, would have it fully protected the owners if a, an atomic bomb were dropped uh, in Bloomington Normal, pr- probably not. I, I don't know. I, but uh, if, when you're walking in this fallout shelter, this bomb shelter, you, you stood in this room. First thing I noticed was just a sense of creepiness, right? Like, the, this thing even just has to exist. That there was a day when they're building homes and, like, okay, it's a, that's one thing we need to add is a fallout shelter. So, just a sense of eeriness and creepiness. But, but when you did stand in that room, you, you still sensed a. The, the sense of security, right? Like, so you're in a basement, which is secure, but man, then you're in this like tiny room that's fortified and steel beams and cinder block, and you're just kind of like kept in there. And so there was this, this sense of refuge that you could feel like you felt safe in that room. It was that fortress of sorts. It was that place to go to in, in times of danger. So w- what is your refuge? What's your refuge? What's your source of strength? Where do you go in times of danger? Where do we run to? You see, as sinful and broken human beings, we're, we're actually the cause for the dangers around us. And yet, instead of so often looking to God as our refuge, we, we often begin to create these man-made solutions to the very problems that we've created. It, that's, that's the... That's the idiocy of, of, of human natures. We were the problem, but then we also in some weird way think we're the solution. And, and so the Psalms is calling us to, like, you're not the solution. Look, you got to look outside of yourself to the solution, to your Savior. You're not the Savior. And so for some, we, we in our sinful, broken status and, 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 and state, we, we look to wealth for our refuge. Well, as long as I have wealth, I'm kept secure. For others, it's their skills and their training and their education. That's their refuge. They fall back on their, their, their knowledge. For others, maybe their refuge is their family, their friends, their community that give them this, this sense of safety. But all of those things and the many more that we could add to that list are uncertain at best. That, that every one of those things, plus anything we would add to that list, can be easily slipped away, easily lost. They're unstable. This psalm paints a, a picture of this 
physical destruction. Do you hear the, the, the wording that the psalmist used? The earth is giving way. The mountains being moved into the heart of the sea when waters are roaring and foaming, right? The psalmist is painting this picture of, of uncreation. He's, he's painting this picture of chaos reigning, of this lack of order. We, we find a lot of, of, of security and safety in order, do we not? And so the psalmist is saying when everything is out of order, when chaos is all around you, there's this picture that he paints of this great physical calamity, the feeling of, this, of the world just crumbling underneath your feet. In this life, we're going to face troubles, won't we? In this life, we're going to experience days when it feels as though the earth is giving way, when it feels as though the mountains are crumbling. Have you ever had seasons of your life like that? I'm sure you have, and story after story could be shared in here of those moments. When life feels like it's just shaking and rattling us in those moments, listen, hear me, we must run to a God who is unshakable. We must run to Him. Where we, where we remind ourselves, as we've sung this morning, you are good. You are good. Right? How do I know that you're good? I look to the cross. Right? That reminds me, that assures me of your character, of your nature. We must run to a God who is unshakable, who is our refuge. Remind ourselves of his character, of his nature, of his promises. In 1956, Elizabeth Elliot, her husband Jim, was killed by a tribe of Indians in Ecuador. And that he and, and several others, they were trying to reach actually with the gospel. Now, asked afterward how she was doing in the aftermath of that tragedy, Elizabeth referred to this psalm, saying this. She says, in that moment when, when news came to her that her husband and her friends had been killed by the very people they were trying to reach with the hope of the gospel, she says, everything that has seemed most dependable has given way. Mountains are falling. Earth is reeling. In such a time, it is a profound comfort to know, though, that although all things seem to be shaken, one thing is not. God is not shaken. So we run to our refuge, who is our strength. God is unshakable. He is trustworthy. The second thing we see in the psalm is that God's reign is forever. His reign is forever. So the psalmist sings this truth in verses, uh, verse 4. There's a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. You see, the city of God mentioned here really, it really has two points of, of meaning the first is we want to read the Psalms, you want to read it in its context and when it was written and who it was written to. So it's, it's first being written to and about the, the earthly city of Jerusalem. That would have been the, the immediate reading of this Psalm. So Jerusalem was, was where the temple was found. It was, it was where in the temple where God's presence resided with his people. It's where they came to, to worship him. It's where they came to have their sins atoned for. It's where they came to find forgiveness and so God protected his people, as the psalmist says. Most likely the words that we're reading in Psalm 46 were, were written, were, were penned after maybe a, a likely recent attack on the city itself. Right? And, and so this attack probably came upon the city of Jerusalem and God intervenes and God had protected them from this invasion. So you can hear the, the shouts of, of praise and thankfulness in verses 5 and 6 when they say, God is in her midst. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The, the nations rage, the kingdoms totter, right? They're coming against us, but he utters his voice and the earth melts. And so that's a first point of reading of this, of this psalm that, that he was present with his people. 
And yet a second way of seeing this is in reference to the new spiritual Jerusalem, a symbol of heaven, the final dwelling place of God and his people. If I had time, we'd go to Revelation 21 and 22, and you would see God residing, dwelling with his people forever. You'd see, you'd see in Revelation 22 the, the river, this river coming, flowing from the throne of God, which is giving life to his people, that, that from this river is a tree of life that's giving life and abundance to his people. It's, it's a reference even back to Psalm 1, where how the Psalms even begin, where, where we find prosperity and fruitfulness and joy, right, when we're abiding in God's word. What a beautiful picture this psalm is painting to us of the future day when the city of God, the people of God, will be glad forever as God reigns on his throne forever and ever. You see, this eternal city, this, this, this new Jerusalem, is the, is the one that the prophets looked forward to. The earthly city of Jerusalem was but a foreshadow of the eternal city where all of God's children, all of the, the saints of God would resign and will reside with him forever. It was Abraham himself, the father of, of many nations, who looked to that city to be built by God. The author of Hebrews reveals this and points this to us when he says in Hebrews 11.10, for he, speaking of Abraham, was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. See, this is a city the psalmist points us to beyond the, the mere earthly city whose foundations will never crumble, whose inhabitants will always be glad, a city that will never face corruption or decay, a city secure where peace reigns, where joy is full and life is eternal because God reigns on his throne and from the throne is a river of life which will never go dry, a city that faces no threat of opposition, no threat of persecution because God's peace reigns, because God has conquered, which leads to the final point, the third point, which is that God's peace is overpowering. It's overpowering. This psalm, though, though referencing a current victory of God over Israel's enemies, really is a psalm, again, which looks to the, the future when God will defeat every enemy, every enemy who stands against him looking to a day when God will speak and everything will be demolished and crushed and only, only eternal joy and peace will reign forever and ever. And so the psalmist calls on us, says, look to the mighty works of God. Look to what he has done. Look to what he is doing. Look to what he will do, right? He will overwhelm all of his enemies with his great power and peace will reign. This is what we see in verse 8. Come, behold the works of the Lord, for how he has brought desolations on the earth. Verse 9, he makes wars cease to the end of the earth. Imagine that day, right? When wars cease to the ends of the earth. When God will break the bow, when he will shatter the spear, when he will burn the chariots with fire, there will be no more need of weapons of war. He will break them all, and peace will be what reigns. Hear what the psalmist is saying? He's going to make one day all wars end throughout all the earth, where he's not talking about some regional victory here, where some local defiant militia is raising up and he stomps it. No, God is going to one day come and with, a sweeping, and with his sweeping power demolish all who rise up against him. That God will one day establish a peace and not a peace through negotiation. God doesn't need to negotiate with anyone. 
He establishes his eternal peace through conquering all opposition. That's what the Psalms tell us. During the days of the Roman Empire, when Rome ruled much of the known world, uh, there, there was a, a certain Roman medal that was crafted which depicted this, this image. And on this image was this picture of this torch that was setting to fire all these heaps of armor. And so that image that Rome put out was, was this picture that of, of imposed peace through defeat of an enemy. And that's what the psalmist is speaking of to some degree here, that God's peace will be eternal and will, 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 will come in the end in those last days through power and defeat over those who rise up to oppose him. And that's why when we get to verse 10, a very well-known verse, if you, if you have any church history, any church background, you've heard Psalm 4610, be still and know that I am God. It's written on our coffee cups. We put on t-shirts. It's a great verse. It's a great verse. But I want to make sure that we read and understand this verse in the context of what the psalmist intended. Because sometimes it's not read and understood in, in the past as, as maybe how it's intended to be read. This psalm, this verse here, be still and know that I am God, isn't necessarily a, a call to quiet contemplation and meditation, as so often maybe how we perceive it and think it. But rather, be still and know that I am God is rather a call to lay down your arms, lay down your life, stop moving, <laughs> be still, stop fighting, stop fighting against a great king who rules and reigns and instead Submit to the great God who will be exalted among all nations. Submit to him as the one who will be exalted in all the earth. It's not that we shouldn't quiet our hearts. It's not that we shouldn't quiet our minds and quiet our souls and meditate upon the goodness and faithfulness of God, right? It's not that we should not still our hearts and our souls to, to think and dwell upon who he is. That's not a wrong thing to do. But when we read Scripture, always, always understand and read it in the context of what it's written in. And the context here is for those who are warring against him to be still. To be still. To recognize, no, he's God. You're not. Peace will be established on the earth. Praise God for that. There is coming a day when peace will be established in all the earth. There's coming a day when all that is wrong and corrupt with the world will come undone. There's coming a day when all the enemies of God will be overthrown and that God will establish his eternal reign and his rule. So the plea to you this morning then from, from God's word is to find peace with God today. Today, before the final day. Let's see, you and I, apart from, from Christ, we're enemies of God. You and I, apart from Christ, we're under his wrath because of our sin, because of our rebellion. This is what the Apostle Paul teaches us in Ephesians 2, you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that's now at work and the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. That's our nature. This is who we are. We are natural-born enemies of God as sinners. But peace is established between us and God through faith and faith alone in the finished work of Christ on the cross. You see, just as, as Paul says, you and I were under and are under the wrath of God apart from Jesus because of our sin, when Jesus hung on the cross, he endured the wrath of God for us. He was made to be sin, 2 Corinthians 5. 
so that we, through faith in him, would find peace, would become the righteousness of God. We'd become right with him. It's why Paul in in Romans 5 says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, faith in who? Faith in Christ. What's the response? What's What's the result of that? We have peace with God. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And so the call of Christ from the cross is to be still. The call of Christ from the cross is to surrender. Surrender to the reign and the rule of God. See, peace will be established on earth. It's either going to be established through faith in the finished work of Christ on the cross, or it's going to be established through God's overwhelming power over his enemies on that last day. And so the proper application to us from this psalm today is to submit with joy and with gladness to the eternal reign and rule of God Almighty, to be still and know he is God. See, I say with joy and gladness because underneath his reign and his rule is where we find our refuge. It's where we find strength. It's where we find freedom, joy, peace, deliverance, forgiveness. As one author has said, the storms of life will come. And the greatest storm of all will be the final judgment. So make Christ your refuge now.